0: And she said, you're you're severe clinically depressed. I'm going to sign you off for six months. And like that. Completely in denial. Had no clue that I was completely clinically depressed. It was like I forgot how to breathe. I've already lost my job in my mind. I've already lost my partner. I've lost my identity. There is no way I'm losing this. New level, new level of imposter syndrome. And I still do have it. Every single time I speak on stage, a lot of my mentors, they used to always tell me not to share certain things because it's depositioning. It'll stop people buying it from you. They won't believe in you. That was when the passion was of like the fire was born for me going, well, screw you all, basically. It just, it was such a motivator to prove why I needed to have something more. All the speakers saw me have a book on everyone's table. For me, I was working with speakers. That was my audience. And I had about four in a row in one week. And I thought, hmm, that might be something new. Welcome to Inspired By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. (laughs) Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story, and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So, my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Welcome back to the Inspired by Show and a Happy New Year to every single one of our listeners and our viewers. It has been so amazing to be running this show for over six months, and I'm so grateful that you've come back in the new year for more inspiring stories. Now, we have got so many guests lined up for this new year. I've already recorded a few of them, and you are going to be so excited to hear who we have on the show. But what I often hear people share on our comments, on Instagram, on TikTok, and all these other places, Chloe, We get to hear about all of your guests, but we don't actually ever get to hear about your inspiring story. When are we gonna get to hear about yours? And so I thought to warm us up for this new season, why not instead of me just talking at you at a camera or rather than me just interviewing guests, why don't I share with you an episode where I've been interviewed by somebody else? And I've had a few different podcast interviews where I've been interviewed on other people's podcasts where I've shared quite openly about my inspiring story. But there was one that kind of sticks in my mind that I thought would be great for me to share with you as our episode today. This interview was on the On A Mission podcast. Now, if you don't know Ellie Mackay, she is an incredible human being that launched her podcast a couple of years ago. And she's had some incredible guests on her show from Stephen Bartlett to Spencer Lodge, Fern McCann, Kerry Katona, and so many, so many more. So when she asked me to come on her show and talk about my inspiring story and talk about the mission that I'm on, I just couldn't say no. So Listen into this next episode where Ellie interviews me about my inspiring story. And don't forget to share in the comments, which has been your most inspiring bit. And I'll see you all soon.
1: Now, you're a lady of many talents and you're about to add a podcaster to your CV. What made you decide to get into this crazy world of podcasting?
0: Well, I could talk for England. (laughs) It's the first thing. So I always say to people, I love speaking. And now I'm really fortunate to be a speaker and I speak on loads of different platforms, but I've interviewed so many podcasters and I've had this niggling feeling like, why have I not done it yet? Mm-hmm. And I interviewed you on our event. I interviewed you twice last year and both times we were talking about your podcast. And you said on stage, if somebody wants to launch a podcast, the very first person in this room to do it, you'll be their guest. And yes. I was sat there thinking, you lucky devils in the audience. I'm sat up here interviewing Ellie and I haven't done it yet. So I thought, you know what? New Year's resolution. Let's get it started. And here we are.
1: Oh, amazing. what's the name of the podcast? Inspired By. Inspired By. So what's the theme then?
0: So the theme is all about inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs, yeah. but not the traditional type. So I believe that even if you're the biggest speaker, the biggest podcaster, the biggest author, there's always a story that you haven't yet told. Ooh. And I believe that's because you haven't been asked the right questions. So my job is to sit there and investigate, ask questions, peel back the layers of the onion and see what can unravel.
1: I love that. And actually, for transparency, before we recorded this podcast, we're in the studio in London. I was fortunate enough to be Chloe's uh, debutante guest. And I was just complimenting you, was now on your interview skills, because what you have a natural talent for is people. And actually podcasting, I know we were joking there about the talking and I'm exactly the same in case you haven't noticed, but actually to be a good podcast host, a skill that's equally important to talking is the ability to listen, Mm. to listen properly, to take a real interest and to delve a little bit deeper. Whereas arguably the majority of podcasts are a little bit too structured and people have their own agenda Mm. which is you know not wrong different strokes for different folks but it does mean that perhaps they don't press the guests enough on the right questions Mm. or elaborate on some of the interesting points that they might make which you're I'd say world-class, actually.
0: Ah, oh, thank you so much. Well, I think part of that started because I used to interview people on stage. And so there's a huge level of pressure when you have eyes all staring at you going, ask person, this person this question. I really want to know. And so there was a lot of pressure there. And also for me, as you know, Ellie, I do a lot of books and I write a lot of books. And I think a lot of stories are not shared in books because people aren't asking the right questions and aren't encouraging the authors to share. So for me, I always think, Often we don't want to brag, we don't want to talk about things, but we're also our own best kept secrets and we hold things close because we think people don't want to know about them. Sometimes just being a good listener is so powerful for relationship building and also getting the best
1: answers. So actually book writing's not too dissimilar from the written form then? Mm -hmm, Exactly. Okay, so what questions... Sorry, what stories do people typically not tend to share in their books then? Most of the time people write a book
0: to build their business and build their brand. Yeah. But what they think they need to do is share the process, the how the success, the wins, the testimonials. And most people don't want that shit, to be honest Mm. with you. Most people don't want that information or they want it, but that's not what they need. Mm -hmm. So with me, when it comes to us writing people's books, we're always saying, well, actually, what's the raw stuff? What's the lessons? What's the setbacks? But really, what did you learn in these moments? Because when you're reading a book or you're watching, let's say you're watching a a training material, you don't just want to know the result. You want to know, hang on, that's well and good. But what if that doesn't happen? Mm -hmm. what may i experience what may go
1: wrong teach me that that's way more valuable for me as well i always remember the stories a lot more than the processes in the house Mm -hmm. yeah you don't tend to forget And, and we want the Oh, I don't know we're all meant to be high performers aren't we but we all want the scandal as well yeah. we want the nitty gritty we want the raw emotion and we want to know that people are real and I think that's probably why people resonate with you and why people listen to my podcast as well because it's not polished it's very much mm. warts and all but I'm interested in hearing about people's authentic experiences like how did you genuinely really feel when you hit rock bottom because that's where the true power is
0: yeah and that's also what people are going to relate to because a lot of people that will be listening to this or reading the books are doing it because they're on a development journey and they may well be at that rock bottom. And if you don't go there, if you don't share the truth behind it and say, I wanted to do this, I thought this, I felt that, they're not going to see. They're actually, what often happens, and we talked about it on my show earlier, a lot of people just think that you're perfect. And so they're listening to it and they're not getting the benefit. So let's say you're reading someone's story and you're like, oh, that's all well and good for Ellie. She's over there they're going to end up feeling crap about themselves because they're going to think, well, actually, I'm never going to get there. Mm -hmm. If they realise that you've also had the depths, if not the darker depths, then they're not going to realise that it's possible for them.
1: Yeah, I think it's sharing with the right intention, isn't it? Mm. Because unfortunately, some people do share the hardships in order to exploit people's emotion, to use a bit of NLP, to Mm -hmm. heighten the emotion pre-sale and things like that, which I think is really disingenuous. However, for people like you and me, I'm not going to let that deter us from telling her story as well because like you say when people see you speaking confidently on stage and I've seen you on stage and you're bloody brilliant there is a tendency to say ah it's all right for Chloe Mm -hmm. I'm not naturally confident I'm an introvert or oh it's Mm -hmm. all right for Ellie she's got tens of thousands of social media followers I've only got my mum and my dad and they don't really look at where you started from which is kind of where I probably Overshare some of my vulnerabilities to see look, it wasn't all right for me. This is my experience. This is my story. It was absolutely horrendous, but somehow, with a bit of perseverance and a little bit of a plan, we've managed to achieve X, Y, and Z. And again, hearing your story and this is why I'm really keen to share more about you with my listeners because listening to you, I couldn't believe how many similarities there was. Really.
0: Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing, Ellie, talking to you and hearing your story. I used to think I was the only person who opened so vulnerably. And I used to think I'm always an oversharer and I, I share too much all the time. And a lot of my mentors and you know, credit where credit's due, they helped me get to where I needed to get to, but they used to always tell me not to share certain things yeah. because it's depositioning. It'll stop people buying it from you. They won't believe in you. They won't think you can give them the result. And I was like, but that's who I am. Like I have had many a mental breakdown. I have had some really dark places that I've wish. I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But if I don't share them, people will say to me, oh, but you know, they won't invest in you. So what? Will Mm -hmm. they believe in themselves though? And Mm. that's where for me, I had to start sharing that and be on stage and, and say to people, look, I have had panic attacks before going on stage. I've not always been confident on stage. Okay, it's taken five years of now not having the shakes when I walk on stage. And if anyone ever sees me dancing my way onto the stage, that's my version of that because I get it out. I listen to music and I'm always dancing. And you've seen me and people always think I was crazy, but I'll always dance my way onto the stage because that's the physical energy getting out. So then the shakes are gone. But that's my way of getting over that. It's not a, I'm so cool and I want to dance my way onto the stage. It's just my
1: mechanism. I love that. And what a brilliant share as well because people in the audience would presume, as I would, that that's just a sign of extreme confidence. And it's not. And I think that really is powerful because it's a case of face the fear and do it anyway, Mm -hmm. which I suppose is my message. And I'm just going to share a little story with you, actually, just on a, a, a little sidebar. And I'll keep it short because this interview is about you, not me. But... One of the first times I was doing public speaking in front of of a larger audience, it was a couple hundred people. And for transparency, it was only a glorified testimonial. I was only talking for about five, ten minutes but it was over in Glasgow and my husband and my kids were there we'd been staying with my dad the night before so he was taking me and the kids were in the back and they were going to go to a play area around the corner and on the way to Glasgow I'm there in the car talking to my husband not really thinking the kids are paying attention about how nervous I was I was shaking I certainly wasn't confident in any way shape or form this is back like early 2019 this is during the period as well I've just came off all my medication and things like that still really bad anxiety at the time and And anyway, I went onto the stage and I did my thing. In the meantime, my husband's taking the kids to the play area. My eldest is seeing us climbing up this wall. You have to get to the top in order to go down the big slide at the bottom. There's no other way you can go down the slide. So she's getting so far up this climbing wall, coming back down, too scared. Getting a little bit further, coming back down, too scared. This keeps happening. Eventually, she goes back to my husband, bursts into tears, She's too scared. She can't climb this wall. She's absolutely terrified. And he shows her a little clip of mummy that somebody's taken from the back of the room, getting uh, standing on stage, doing my thing, and then everybody doing a round of applause. And she just looked at my husband and she went, I remember what mummy said now. Mummy said that being brave doesn't mean that you don't get scared. Mummy says that it's getting scared and doing it anyway that's what bravery is and the Mackay girls can do anything and she just went spider monkeyed up this climbing wall and went down the slide and I do share that a lot because I think it's really important it's not necessarily that you don't get butterflies or anxiety or fear yes you can get more confident and you can manage it better but if you're anything like me, and I know you are, as soon as you get comfortable with a particular situation, you start to raise the bar anyway. So you speak in front of bigger and bigger mm-hmm. crowds or you do something else which is going to stretch your comfort zone. Yeah. And therefore, you're just going to increase that anxiety. So it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, with every level is a new devil, as they say. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily it's going away. It's just that, as Jim Rowan says, don't wish it was easier, wish you were better.
0: Yeah. Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from our listeners. And it really means a lot when you will share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and, shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real so i have a favor to ask can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message maybe there's a friend a loved one a colleague or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story if you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone then i'd really appreciate it so if you haven't already share this episode with a friend a loved one a colleague or someone that you know would benefit now back to the episode and I think the big part of that being the better version is that, like you say, new level, new devil. And I'm a massive believer in new level, new level of imposter syndrome. Yes, I used to have it and I still do have it every single time I speak on stage, especially because, as you know, when we speak at these events, there's usually a celebrity headliner or something like that. And people say to me, like the very first big event I did, it was Kim Kiyosaki speaking on stage. So Robert Kiyosaki's wife. So I was like, an Elena Cardone. Grant Cardone's wife. And so I was telling everyone, I'm going to speak at the same event as Kim Kiyosaki, Elena Cardone, fantastic. And the more I said it, the bigger the imposter syndrome got. And, you know, we're always taught on social media, market it, you know, leverage it, milk it for everything it's worth. And I just felt this imposter syndrome getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And even now, the bigger stages I go on, the imposter syndrome is still there. Mm -hmm. But I notice it as almost like, it's going to sound like I'm crazy, like a different voice now. I'm like, okay, cool. I hear you. You're right, but I'm also right you know? And I think sometimes it is that feeling of people expect it to get easier. They expect it to simmer down. One day that won't be there. Actually, if it's not there, you've got way bigger problems.
1: So it's learning to enjoy the process for what it is now as opposed to thinking I'll enjoy it when and then attach whatever it be. I have more confidence X, mm-hmm. Y or Z. It sounds really cheesy, doesn't it? Enjoying the journey. But it's really true. So many of us prolong our happiness or it's it's not even about the gratification. It's I will be confident when it's like, well, the only thing that's guaranteed is today. So how about we make the most of this situation the cloy we see before us today is very very different because you're a bloody accountant not that long ago weren't you what's happened i woke up <laughs> no you're right Ellie so for full
0: transparency i'm a chartered certified accountant Get which out. i know <laughs> i'm I
1: know. joking I'm joking and
0: um and it feels like a previous life i studied as a chartered accountant my family couldn't afford university And so I had the option of going straight into work. So I worked at one of the largest accountancy firms and was kind of thrown in with the sharks. It's like the Wolf of Wall Street thing. Like it looked like that. I felt like that. 18 years old. I was chartered by the time I was 21 and a director by the time I was 24. And that all sounds great. Sounds fantastic. But there's no smoke without fire. And as I got through that process, I just couldn't handle it. Too much pressure, too much stress, too much dull. It was just not me. I was trying to do what everyone thought I had to do. Be a great girl, prove that I don't need to go to university. I can have it all without, you know, the traditional model. And I got up the ranks. And every time I got this new pay rise, you know, you talked about new level, new devil. I just wasn't happy. I was like, great. An extra 20 grand in my bank account every year. Fantastic five, like maybe like five minutes later, realistically about 30 days after payday, I was like, oh, now what? Mm-hmm. Now what? And I got to, I remember, I still remember to this day being d- sat at my desk and the, the business cards arrived. Chloe Bisson, director. And I remember looking at this going, I cannot wait to give this to my parents. And I looked at it on my desk. And then as soon as uh, probably, it felt like five minutes, probably about an hour passed. And I thought, I can't go anywhere further than here. Because... In a global organization, to get to director at that age is insane. But what, what, am I going to be owning a bank, you know, when I'm 30? Like what's next? And at that moment, I just lost all sense of purpose because I'd created my purpose based on my career. Mm-hmm. To prove everybody wrong, uh, without going to too much backstory, I actually went to an all-girls school in Jersey, which is where I was born. Very finance-based island, so much money. But I was the poorest person in that school. So my parents just about got together to get the money to be able to pay for me to go there. And so when everyone was discussing their universities and their fancy degrees they were going to go for and the pools they had in their houses and the chateaus they had in France, I lived on top of a supermarket. Neither of my parents could afford to send me to university. And I remember being in the careers class where everyone was talking about the universities they were going to apply to, knowing my mum had said, we can't really afford to send you. And I remember telling the teacher, whispering it because I was so embarrassed, didn't want anyone else to know, saying, look, I'm probably just going to get a job. Can you send me some templates? Or like, how do I apply for a job? And she said, look, you're better off having a free period now because there's not really much I can help you with. And I remember thinking, I'm so alone. And I didn't want to put the pressure on my parents to think they'd failed by not sending me to university. And so that was when the passion was of like the fire was born for me going, well, screw you all, basically. It just, it was such a motivator to prove why I needed to have something more. And I needed to show to people that you don't need to go the traditional way. And so that's where that fire comes. So that fire was born there, and then for whatever that six years later, it was constantly burning, constantly burning. Nothing else mattered other than my career. I was the first one in the office, last one out. You know, nothing else mattered until that point where I got those business cards, and I was like, "Now what?" And that's where it. Within about a month, I'd had a complete breakdown because I would had no purpose. I had had no life purpose the whole time. I just thought my career was the reason I needed to be driving and striving and unfortunately, and I don't know if anyone can relate to this or yourself, Eddie can relate to this, but the more people that praised me for it, the worse it got because I was like, Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad I got this promotion. Yeah. Director. Oh, thanks. My dad's friends down the pub going, Oh, Chloe, your dad's told us you're doing so well. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. All the whole time in my head going, I'm not, I'm not doing well. And I wasn't well. And then it was only when I went to the doctors and I went to the doctors because I had stomach pains completely in denial, had no clue that I was completely clinically depressed. And I went to had stomach pains and I just said to her, is there any chance you can make these pains go away? Because every morning I felt sick and Mondays were worse, Friday I felt better. So I was like, it must just be a weird bug I've got, like a bacteria or something. And she said, you're, you're severe clinically depressed. I'm going to sign you off for six months. And like that, I was off. And I was from someone who had been driven, driven, go, 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 strive, career, career, career. Suddenly it was like, now what? And I was completely, I was actually quite rude, to be honest, because I was like, she's mad. Like this woman is in what planet do I need six months off? And then about, she said to me, Chloe, wait two days. I'll give you a call in two days. And then let me know what you think. And in those two days, it all unraveled because it was like this, this, this denial stages of grief. One of the first stages is denial. It just unraveled and it just unpicked. And I just remember sitting at my mum's dining room table and the doctor ringing me and bursting into tears going, you're so right. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Thinking you were so certain, so stable, so successful to then suddenly having nothing and worse, not even knowing what was going on in my own brain. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my life.
1: It's so Powerful. Thank you for sharing that as well. And it's actually a recurring theme. When I'm interviewing a lot of people on this podcast, world champion boxers, Olympic athletes, it, it doesn't matter when you attach your identity to one thing mm-hmm. and you then achieve what you've perceived to be the pinnacle of success only to find instead of it being the holy like grail, you're left feeling empty and unfulfilled. Mm. And actually, in your case, the realisation that you've had your ladder against the wrong wall, but not mm. necessarily knowing where the correct wall is either. Mm. Having more questions than answers and for somebody like yourself who'd Mm. been a high flyer a high performance person driven spent so much time in the workplace to just have this huge void Mm. how did that then make you feel over that six month period
0: I I struggle with everything it was like I forgot how to breathe at times so I remember I lived on my own and I so I'd I'd pretty much My job, spoiler alert, was not there when I got back, basically. So I had felt like I was losing my career. I felt like I was losing everything. I'd previously lost a partner from different reasons. So i felt like I'd lost everything. Was this all during the six-month period? Exactly. Okay. All in one space of time. Wow. And I'm a massive believer in when you need to receive something, you're going to receive it. And it might hurt. <laughs> but for me, it was like, you know, they say just like rip the plaster off. It mm-hmm. was like the universe ripped the plaster off. It was like, you're having a your realization. Let's just show you everything now. Mm-hmm. Which I'm fortunate for now. And I remember being, so I'd lost everything and I was living in my flat, luckily that I owned. And so my mortgage was super low and I could afford it. And I remember my mum saying to me, Chloe, I'm worried about you. I want you to come home. And I said to her, there's no way in hell I'm moving out of here because I've already lost my job in my mind. I've already lost my partner. I've lost my identity. There is no way I'm losing this because I felt like I was clinging onto anything. So I was on my own in my flat for pretty much a whole six months. And once the depression kicked in, it was complete paranoia. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but when you feel like you're so certain of something and you realize you're so completely in denial, there's almost a paranoia that comes with that. Well, how could I've been so blind? What? And I became really panicky and the anxiety kicked in. What if that decision is wrong? What if I'm thinking wrong? What, it was like, I couldn't trust my own mind. It mm-hmm. was, it was really quite terrifying. And so I didn't want to go out. So when I first came up the depression, I wasn't like what people tell you. Oh, depressed people don't want to see anyone. Depressed people lock themselves in their houses. It wasn't like that for me. I was actually really chatty, outgoing, and I started off thinking that will help me. And then after the anxiety kicked in and the paranoia kicked in of my own brain, that's when I locked myself in because I was like, I don't trust myself. And I remember the very first time trying to go out and see my friends because Jersey is such a small place. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, Chloe's off sick. Why are they off sick? No one could, some of the places you go out and you see everyone you know all the time. So if people don't see you, then what's going on? And I remember once going out for dinner and I felt like I had to go there and pick the table and pick my seat so I knew exactly where I'd sit in the room that's to the extent that it got my anxiety. And it was pretty much, it sounds so cliched, but I just had to build from the ground up again. And I just questioned who I was. I'd gone through a previous really severe breakup where my partner was unfaithful. And so I realized that it all stemmed from there. And I just had to build who I was again, go back to my childhood traumas, go back to everything and just go, right, where is this mess started? And so loads of people were trying to help, but sending me all these self-help books, like this will make you feel better. Read this self-help book. And I remember saying to someone one day, if one more person gives me a freaking self-help book, I'm going to throw it at them. Like <laughs> I was like, I do not want to read. And ironically now that I'm on a book publishing company full of self-help books, <laughs> all the irony. But, and so what I wanted though, was to learn the science behind my brain. I was like, this is, people say it's a chemical imbalance. Well, what does that mean? What is this? And so I studied a lot of psychology and that's what gave me purpose again, because I'm a high achiever as you put it. I was addicted to learning. So I studied that, studied neurolinguistic linguistic programming, and I started finding out what my values were. And my auntie was actually a life coach. I didn't even know that was at the time until I had my breakdown. And so she said, Chloe, and bit of context, there was such a waiting list for mental illness in, in Jersey, even in private, it was a nine week waiting list oh, for wow. even one appointment. So- I couldn't wait that time. I was in such dire straits. And my auntie said, look, Chloe, I don't normally work with family members, but I'll come and have a session with you. And she's asked me one very powerful question. And she said, Chloe, what are your values? And I remember turning around to her and saying, am I allowed to have those? Oh, wow. Yeah. And it came, you know, one of those things that comes out your mouth, you're like, where did that come from? And I remember saying to her, well, am I allowed to have those? And she said, of course you are. And I had this belief that they were like what companies have, the company values on the wall. They weren't what we had as individuals because I'd never had the opportunity to create them. And so that became the foundation of what do I value? What pisses me off? What is important to me? And then it just stemmed from there.
1: God, and then what are some of your values? So
0: my top value is respect. So I get really pissed off where people treat each other with disrespect. Yeah. So that is definitely one of them. Achieving, if it's a shock horror at all there. (laughs) Um, Authenticity. So I, I hate BS. I can see straight through it. Yes. If someone is trying to, even NLP to some extent, people trying like to mirror your body language and trying to like look where you're looking and all that I it just doesn't feel right. So I'm very much just be honest, be yourself, sounds so cliches, um, and just be respectful. Like, you know, people say, manners don't cost a thing yeah like that's me I don't give a crap who you are Mm. some of the best contacts I've got in this industry has become because I became best friends with PA not knowing it was the PA you know for me that's that's how I live my life and it's served me since those moments I came up with them
1: oh I love that it's quite funny saw one of my previous guests who runs a really uh, fantastic security agencies like a bodyguard very high level works like government diplomats and all of this kind of things, done all sorts of training. He said to me afterwards, he's like, you're a NLP trained, aren't you? It's like, I've never done a day of NLP, an hour of NLP in my life. But Mm. yeah, apparently I embrace quite a lot of the NLP concepts. But Mm. using that word, authenticity, what does that actually mean? Because I think it gets misconstrued. And it sounds like a very simple word, Mm. but I don't necessarily think it is because when people say just be yourself, Mm. what what does that mean? Like Mm. does that mean oversharing with people? How do you want and how do you let's take it a little bit deeper? How do you find who you really are? Because taking it back again, you realised who you weren't. You're starting to do Mm -hmm. NLP. You're starting to become aware of your values, what's important to you. But you still had no clue at that point Mm -hmm. what you wanted to do with your future. Presumably as you're emerging, slowly but surely, as Chloe 2.1. People within your circles would have sensed a change in you. Did you start to receive a backlash? You would have been presumably interested in completely different things, behaving in a slightly different manner, perhaps. Yeah, totally. So first point on
0: authenticity. So my belief is that authenticity is, first of all, knowing who you are and showing up in every way, shape or form in that manner. So when it comes to knowing who you are, you've got to go through the deep shit. Like so many people will say, oh yeah, I haven't really dealt with that. That's where you need to play. And it is painful. And I'm a bit, it's easy for me to say it because I didn't get the choice. (laughs) It just all collapsed and I had to. But I think you need to realize who you are, work out what's important to you. And when I say show up, I don't mean on social media. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. So show up internally, externally, whether it's on your social media, whether it's to your partner, to your kids, to your family members, what. What, are you, what is important to you and show up as that and the key thing for me is be unapologetic about it I always use the word sorry and it is hilarious I'll go oh my god I'm so sorry I'm that person that bumps someone bumps into me and I apologise that is me all over right and for me it was a case of looking at it and going hang on, why am I apologizing all the time? And I'm apologizing because I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be an inconvenience. And that's because we feel like being ourselves can make other people uncomfortable, which is coming to a second point around what did my friends and family do? Most people didn't understand. They thought it was still crazy. So when I actually started my business, everyone was saying to me, Chloe, are you sure you're ready? Are you?" And I, by the way, there's no history of businesses in my close family. So I was like the first entrepreneur. So to them, I can see it person, loses everything, goes mad, breaks down. Now she wants to start a business. What planet is she on? That was like the renowned theme. But for me, the difference that people noticed was that I wasn't as opinionated anymore. So I am, I come across really opinionated having a show and stuff, but I'm like the least judgmental person in the world. If two people are judging someone, let's say someone walks in with the weird shoes and someone says, oh my God, Chloe, can you see how bad their shoes are? I'm like, yeah, but they might like them. Like that was the difference. When I went on this journey, I realized that everyone's doing them let them. And I remember when my friends really it got too much. We went on um, for New Year's Eve in Vegas, like a group of friends. This is about a year later, and I was like back drinking because I was like stable then, um, and my mental health had really improved. And everyone was moaning and moaning about their friends and families and just like criticizing, scrolling on social media and seeing people back home. Oh my god, look what she's wearing! Look at this. And I remember thinking, who gives a crap? Mm-hmm. Like. I've had a near on, like I had a breakdown and you're moaning about what that person's wearing. Like, is she comfortable? Is she happy? Does it matter what she's putting on social media? And that was the difference. And actually I then had to isolate myself because I was like, this, this is not the energy I want to be around. This is not the oxygen I want to be breathing. And it's that sort of decision that I had to make. And now that's what, seven years ago, I'm now friends with the same people again, but I've adapted and they know what to expect when I show up, they know that I'm going to talk about my show. I'm going to talk about the stage I'm talking about or I'm on because that's who I am. Whereas we have to go through that phase of them being like, oh, here we go. Chloe's talking about this celebrity she's meeting again, or she's speaking on stage with. And I'm like, that's my life. Like, and I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm really freaking proud of it. And I worked really hard for it.
1: Yeah. It's a funny one. My social circles have completely changed. One of the best things I've done to Bill, my network has actually been the podcast. But even prior Mm -hmm. to that, I was in high level sort of masterminds and going to events that attracted people that had similar values or were in a similar sort of path. And not that I will only be friends with entrepreneurs or people that have their own business or high performance people. But I think that's the perception from the wider community mm. and some of my older friends really started to change towards me I talk about this a lot actually because you go meet up and have a cup of coffee and you'd be listening to their tales of woe or challenges at work and then you move on to the next one and they talk about their work and their family and things and it just became quite apparent the more that we were meeting up that nobody was actually asking me anything about my life and I might have just interviewed someone that was really massive that I'll be hugely proud of bearing in mind these friends have seen me at rock bottom they've seen me in mm. 2016 having had a complete mental breakdown very similar to yourself and I just thought well if it was me and it, the boot was on the other foot and one of my friends had literally picked themselves up from mm. the depth of despair to be interviewing top celebrities or thought leaders or whatever it may be I would be genuinely proud of them I'd be their biggest cheerleader so to have friends or best friends in quotation marks not even asking me, oh, how's the property business? Or I see your podcast doing really well. It felt very isolating. And whilst I do still see some of those people, Mm -hmm. uh, it's that realisation, you don't have to be best friends. You can just have different friends and different capacities but you mentioned here about the oxygen that you breathe I have to be around people that have mm. similar values and that genuinely care I think as a podcast host you have to be interested in other people and when your own inner circle stop being interested because perhaps your success highlights some sort of inadequacy I mean I'm only guessing here but mm. it definitely causes a bit of a divide and it's like grieving as well it's almost like It might sound a bit drastic if you've not went through it. But when you have been friends with people for a lot of years and you love them and you really value that relationship and they start distancing themselves from you when all you're trying to do is become the best version of yourself, you're not preaching at them it feels really, really shit. And it's not like you're sat there ramming self-development down their throat. I don't know about you. I definitely did that at the start. You're like, you're on this path and you can see a different way and you want to share it for all the right reasons. But I can understand how patronizing and annoying Mm. that might be with my hindsight goggles on. So I absolutely don't do that anymore. But if you're living your life make somebody else feel is that whole thing burning out somebody else's candle doesn't make yours any brighter exactly
0: and that's exactly what happened to me as well so I it's funny you mentioned about being a podcast host because you do get good at asking questions so I meet up my friends and they're like oh Chloe at the end oh I feel like it's been so nice to catch up with you like I feel like you're so supportive and it's because I've asked questions I'm actually curious about their lives and I think that's natural as part of the part of the work right we do it becomes a muscle And I said to Cedric, actually, my partner, about a few months ago, I went to see some friends and we left. And I said, you know what? I said, it's really interesting. Not one person asked me one question and not even the question and you, not one. And that doesn't phase me anymore, but years ago it would have. And you know what? When it all changed, actually, funny uh, processing as you're talking there, it shifted for me when I wrote my first book. And I think the reason why was because they could understand what a book is. And I don't mean that sound really patronizing, but to them, they're like, Chloe's going to these events. She's speaking. She's an, uh, she's an online business. Like what, what does she do? Like a lot of people didn't get it. Even though I'm it's very clear on my marketing, they, it wasn't in their reality until I wrote a book. And when it became bestseller and it was on all these different platforms and I was being interviewed about it, that's when they would go, oh, wow, you've written a book. Oh, what, what is it you do again? And that's when they took an interest because it became in their reality. And I remember one of my really close friends who I was so excited to read the book because he was there to support me for most of the journey. And I gave him a copy of the book and I was visiting him and he said, oh, where am I in it? Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. And he opened the book and I've got a photo of him looking at the book and I said, which chapter am I in? And I said, oh, you'll have to read it to find out. And I still to this day, I don't think he's read the book. And I think that's where, and that's not harm on him. It's his world and he's living it and he's a fantastic person. I think for me, it was just accepting that to just get rid of expectations because I kept putting pressure on myself. When will my friends accept me? When will my family accept me? Because my clients are accepting me, my audience is accepting me, but why don't the people closest to me or know me the best accept me? And it was just letting go of all that now. And now I'm like, if they don't talk about it, they don't ask me, cool. They don't ask me, it's fine. But it's having to surrender to that.
1: Oh yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've just sacked most of them off, to be honest, I've went have <laughs> Completely different strategy. (laughs) Fuck them off. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah, I definitely feel like you definitely shift who you're drawn, who Mm. you're, put my teeth back in, who you're drawn towards as you change. But then you've got to be honest and self-reflect as well and identify that we're the ones who've moved the goalposts.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly.
1: Because I was that person that was happy to just talk shit about other people. Oh, yeah, dodgy trainers. You can catch me wearing those or just sat talking around about home improvements or what Mm. the next holiday was. I still talk about all that stuff, by the way. You know, I'm not just some sort of superhuman. But I just find talking about low-level stuff continually Mm. it just drains the life out of me and a lot of people used to say to me that if the friends that you have during the dark times will be your friends for life and I would respectfully disagree with that because a lot of those friends were there when I was at rock bottom there's that whole thing isn't there misery loves company I did have friends that I could have rang in the middle of night and they would have been there but they're the same people who don't ask me anything about my life now mm. they're not interested in my podcast like they'll be really into boxing and watch all the pay-per-view boxing they know I've had Eddie earn on, on or Barry Hearn or Ricky Hatton and they won't even mention it you know it's mm. it's like you're almost going out your way to not ask me it's really yeah. strange yeah totally
0: and I think that's the challenge it's you're right misery likes company and that's not what way we play anymore. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, you know, being in your circles. I love to be around people that challenge me. Like I love seeing people and going, oh my God, I'd love to do that. Like when we spoke and I was like, oh my God, I want to launch my own show. Love on a mission. Cannot wait to do something similar. And I think that's where you need to be people around people that excite you. And I get excited by seeing what other people are doing and then go, I would love to do that. Yeah. Whereas I think some people look at what other people are doing and then compare and go, oh, I'm not good enough for that. And they let their inner talk speak louder than the truth. And I think that's where some people can't handle being around people like us who are quite driven, who are who are there. And I used to think I was the only one because I lived in Jersey. There was no one really around me that had ever done it. So it was when I was there thinking... Maybe I'm weird. Like, am I the only person? You are weird. We are both weird. (laughs) And I'm glad, right? (laughs) I used to always think, you know, how am I going to learn to be different? And it was only when I started looking at mentoring and, you know, we've both got similar contacts and circles that we're in. That's when I realized, and I remember sitting in my very first sort of boardroom style mastermind, looking at these people going oh my God, this is my place. This is where I can talk and have these conversations and not be judged or people going, oh, here we go again. She's bragging. Actually, I'm just like asking questions and learning. And that's the space I want to play in now.
1: Absolutely. And celebrate your achievements mm. as well, because you've went from being clinically depressed and struggling to leave your house. You mentioned that you were an author, but you didn't mention that you were a best-selling number one author.
0: Mm, How did yeah. you go from there to there? Well, it's funny actually, because I never planned to. So, you know, we talk about, you know, all the plans and the strategic goals and the smart this, No, you talk smart about that. I don't right? talk about that.
1: <laughs> That's not my space. I'm piece.
0: like, <laughs> it wasn't like that. It wasn't. And I, I was running my business. So I'd flash forward, clinically depressed, overcame that, and then realized that I didn't want to go back to having a job. Found out my job was no longer in existence. So I was like really disappointed and pissed off because I'd worked so hard to get better, to get this value back through my career. And then when I got there, it was pointless or it wasn't what I thought it would be, put it that way. And so I decided to start doing my own thing because I really thought if I can handle that, I can handle anything. I really can. And so I, I don't, and I'd done a lot of learning while I'd been off sick anyway. So I started to look at how can I do more of this? So I built my own online business and I was helping other people with life coaching. Now it was quite funny, really 26 being a life coach, not judging anyone that is quite young as a life coach, but I was thinking actually I haven't had a lot of life. I've had a painful year, but I haven't had a lot of life to give. So I started looking at my skill set, which was in building online businesses, marketing, and so on. Long story short, somebody said to me, on a mentor said, Chloe, you need to write this in a book. Like your friend, you've got an incredible story. People need to read it. And the reason I wrote it was actually out of my journals. So I journaled so much from my depression to try and understand what thoughts were real and what weren't. You know, they talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and challenging a thought. So I had all these journals and I looked through it and I thought, you know, one day I'll put this in a book. And apparently I still don't remember this, but when I threatened to throw all the self-help books at people to, when I was talking to my mum, apparently I said to her that one day I'm going to write this in a book and show people what it's really like. And I don't remember that because I was in such a dark place. And if anyone can relate to that, you do have blackout moments. That was one of them. So my mum called me on it when I said, I've got these journals, I've been told to write a book. She went, do you not remember telling me this, this thing? And so I thought, well, what if, again, all the voices, well, what if people don't really know how bad it was? You know, yeah, I talk about it on stage, but I don't go on bare it all what if they don't buy from me? What if, and all these things that all the mentors have said to me, don't give the real stuff, give them this version, this Hollywood version that's perfected, ready for stage. And I just remember thinking, excuse me, the French, but fuck it. Like, I'm just going to share really what happened. And for the first time ever, I shared where my depression started from. I had to give fake names because the book was so real and raw and would have fe- affected a lot of people. And I wrote this book, but because I'm a marketer, I was like, for my ego, my passion. All my friends were saying, you can't put this in a book. Family members, why, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. I thought, I'm going to prove you all wrong. And that moment where as a kid, same thing happened again. I was like, I'm going to prove this wrong. So I'm a massive believer in don't wait for success, fight for the success. Mm-hmm. And it's not a no, it's a how. So instead of going, no, I haven't got a million followers. I'm not going to be a Sunday Times bestseller only this. How can I become a bestseller? And it's just a matter of learning, asking the right questions like we do on the shows. So I researched all Amazon. I looked at well, what all the bestsellers got in common. All these people have th- this many followers, but they're bestsellers. has this happen? And I just analysed it. it. Sounds really dull. Like there's no like secret juice. I just analysed it, came up with an algorithm, looked into it, marketed it and published my book. And it hit number one in four marketplaces on Amazon four countries
1: in um, 11 different categories. Wow good for you and I love that it's a powerful motivator proving Mm -hmm. people wrong sometimes Mm -hmm. or succeeding in spite of the negativity with the right intentions but again that really resonated with me because I was speaking very openly about mental health about postnatal depression about the imposter syndrome but giving some real gritty examples and mentors and coaches of mine With the best of intentions, advised me that I was oversharing and I was being too vulnerable, because a large part of what I was doing at the time I was using social media, media predominantly LinkedIn, to raise finance, and I was told that no one would give me money if they thought I was emotionally unstable, and all I can say is through being myself. I didn't know how to be anyone else. And because I was new to the industry and for full transparency, I had no bloody experience to refer back to. So the whole no like and trust and prove your track record wasn't really applicable. So I spoke about the things I felt I was qualified to speak about, which is scaling a business from scratch the challenges the insecurities the dealing with mental health trying to be present for my kids while I was traveling and all the guilt that was associated with that and we went on to raise four million pounds within a 12-month period just through that platform alone wow. so it massively proved all the coaches and mentors wrong really and that was through just sharing the journey and one of the most successful posts that I've had to date It got well in excess of a million views. It was about values. It was actually about a topic that you and I have already covered today about integrity. And regardless if someone's a CEO of a 10-figure corporation or the person that's sweeping up after them, we're all equal in this life. And the way that you speak to people that are at the bottom of the corporate ladder, uh, not the top of it, is very telling and that particular post generated 70 qualified heavily qualified leads and I think we onboarded I forget the numbers I don't want to mislead anyone but we onboarded a lot of clients off the back of that post nothing to do with property Mm. nothing to do with it
0: And we all know why that works when you've done it, like in our space, because you showed who you are. People invest in people. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. They think, because I have been emotionally unstable, because I have had a breakdown, people aren't going to invest in me. Actually, I'd rather invest in someone that has seen the dark times because one, they can see it coming a mile off the second time in theory. um, And two, they have more resilience. Mm -hmm. I'm a massive believer in business. If you haven't had any wobbles, I'm not saying that you're not a good business person, but they'll come. And the, the more you adapt to those wobbles, the e- the easier in theory it gets later. And for me, I was the same. I was told, don't, don't put that out there. Don't say that. Don't say, I mean, I've had people say to me, you shouldn't be swearing on your lives. I'm like, but that comes out my mouth. Like I, I can't <laughs> help it. Right. I've, I've sworn on stage and my mum has been in the audience before, and it's just been one of those things. But I find that sometimes you do just need to be yourself and get comfortable being yourself because that's all you're ever going to be. And if you can't do that, As as an individual, then how are you going to do that as an entrepreneur? How are you Mm -hmm. going to do it as a personal brand? How are you going to do that in telling your story? It's when I help people write their books and they go, I don't think I want to put that in the book. And I'm like, why not? And if it's because you're not ready to share it, then let's talk about it so you are ready to share it. Or if it's because you think people are going to judge you, then look at that. If it's a legitimate business reason where you're like, that's for a second book, then I'll have possibly have a bit more sympathy to not including it. But most of the time, it's just about being you and showing up as yourself so that other people can seriously get a good position perspective of you and believe they can do it too
1: it's being unapologetically you like you said earlier Mm. and you do repel people doing that as mm. i have i've lost clients through podcast guests that i've had on through sharing opinions that are contrary to the mainstream mm. narrative for the last couple of years i've actually lost investors off the back of it but you know what i've gained so much more than mm. i've actually lost not everyone's going to like it and this is where the resilience comes in because it's okay saying that and i think too many people say oh fuck what people think but you know what mm. if we're all being really honest with ourselves the vast majority of us do want to be liked we're not Mm. going out there to cause offence or Mm. to alienate people but on the other hand by being a dulled down version of ourselves that is I don't know being mediocre being wishy-washy it doesn't really work which is why not many people rise to the top if mm. we're being honest and it's the same for any sector, it's the X factor isn't it it's not necessarily the top actors or actresses that are in Hollywood at the moment, in the mm. same way it's probably not always the best podcasters, it's usually the best marketers the best people uh, connecting building relationships, getting in front mm. of the right people that understand how to play the game of life not just in that industry, I certainly wasn't the best property developer in the but I was bloody good at raising finance and marketing ourselves and luckily surrounding myself with people who are far more knowledgeable and experienced than I was like that's the Mm. one of the many keys to success for me being a conductor of the orchestra not necessarily playing all the musical instruments yourself
0: yeah totally and I think to come on to that point about resilience a lot of people think I'm just gonna go fuck what everyone thinks I'm gonna do my own thing right that feels great in the moment wait until you get your first hater. (laughs) Wait until you get the first, you know, bad reaction. And by the way, the haters aren't always the people on the ground. Sometimes they're people sat right next to you, right? Mm -hmm. We've all been there. And sometimes it's about building that resilience. So it's not just about building the following and building the podcast and building the audience. It's about building the ability to face rejection because that rejection can come as people ignoring you. That can come as them slating you. And it's that rawness that you do have to come with. Because when you are being apologetically yourself, you're taking back your shield and you are being super vulnerable. And that is vulnerable in you sharing, but also then stuff can come back. And I think where people, especially the world we live in now, we can create our own platforms and be honest. We're not trained to handle that. And I think I'm quite fortunate in the stuff I had growing up and also going through my breakdowns where I had to learn That people are gonna stay, make nasty comments, and that's okay. So now it's a bit easier. Doesn't always, isn't always easy, but it gets a little bit easier. So it's about practicing that, not just marketing yourself, but also practicing protecting yourself.
1: (laughs) True. It's totally true. And it must be human nature as well, because you can do a post, and people say that they don't do this, but That isn't my experience. You could have a hundred comments, 99 positive, one negative. What's the one you feel most compelled to reply to? The bloody negative (laughs) one. And it's something that I try not to focus on too much Mm. now, but that is the default to go and do that, you know, Mm. and I think being a, it sounds cheesy, but being a producer more than a consumer because social media can be pretty toxic. One of the best Mm. ways to preserve your mental energy is to go in, do your post and then get back out, you know? Yeah, a
0: hundred percent. And it's that, It's easier to put it in that box because that's safe for us. You know, we're we're used to doing things in a certain way. And I think it comes back to what we said earlier. People are used to us doing things in a certain way. And I think we naturally remember the negative because that's formative for us. So, you know, go back to psychology. If we know something creates pain, we tend to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And, And that's why being a successful entrepreneur, podcaster, having a personal brand, most people, it's constant for them to go, is it worth it? do I really want this? Because it is constantly pushing the unknown, pushing the pain, pushing. It's pretty much how much pain can you handle?
1: Mm. So how did you go from writing your own book to running a book publishing company? Because there's a bit of a leap there. Just a tad.
0: And honestly, it was completely by accident. So (laughs) I had my first book and I'd already built a team anyway. So I had a team of marketers working in my business, building my brand. And the book kind of was like a passion project. It was like, please, can I borrow you to just help me with this? Um, And that person is still to this day in my book publishing business and runs all our clients, which is amazing. And so I published my own book and I remember speaking at an event and it was an event which was meant to have a couple of thousand people. And it was about a couple of hundred people. And most of the people in the audience were the speakers. So it was like this big uproar, but long story short, all the speakers saw me have a book on everyone's table. So all of a sudden everyone was peed off because they'd paid to speak at an event with a hundred speakers in the audience who aren't their target audience. For me, I was working with speakers. That was my audience. So I had my book out and everyone was coming to me going, how did you write your book? How did you get it to bestseller? And so then they'd say, oh, and a few calls booked and they went, I don't want to be coached by you in this. I want you to tell me how you did your bestseller. And it happened. I had about four in a row in one week. And I thought, hmm, there might be something here. And after being in business for a couple of years, I was like, Just say yes and work out anyway, transparently, by the way. I was like, look, I've never done this before for anybody else, but I'll give it a go. Are you up for it? And what no one really knew was the very first book I ever published wasn't my own. It was actually my mum's. So my mom's retired and had a passion project of doing children's books. She'd crocheted like these children's characters. And I thought she was just like enjoying her retirement. And next minute, she's like, I've done this book. I've designed the images. Um, I really want to publish it on Amazon. And I was a marketer. I went, yeah, come cool, on, I'll help you out. So we published her book first and I practiced the algorithm. Once I'd nailed that, I was like, okay, now I'll try of my own. So by the time these people came to me, I'd already published my mom's book and mine. So I was like, right, I've done a few too. I'll give it a go. And I charge like next to nothing. I think I even said like, I'll just charge you for the hours my team pay. I pay them. Let's just give it a go. And then the third book got to number two on Amazon. Uh, The next book got to number one on Amazon in two places in in the US and the UK. US market is so tough. So when we did that, I was like, have a little pat on the back moment. I was like, oh shit, we got this. We got this nailed. And so that's when it sort of went from there and ended up my marketing services, because I used to do people's social media back then. It went from doing the social media to actually let's just not do that anymore. And let's specialize purely in the book publishing. And I haven't really looked back since. It's now been four years and we've published at this date of doing this show, uh, 26 best-selling books.
1: Oh, fantastic. What an achievement. And I love the way that there was absolutely no plan there whatsoever. Mm. It was just all serendipitous, wasn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah. And if people had asked me when I first had my breakdown what business would you start? Like, I'm not a writer, I'm a speaker. So I'm the sort of person that relies heavily on spell check, and I'll type and miss things. And like, I'm not a confident writer. And when any people say to me, well, how do you write your book? I just kind of say, well, how would you tell your story? And that's why when I help people now, I get them to speak their story, not write their story. Because so many people get roadblocks with that and, and, you know, uh, writer's block and things like that. But for me, that's maybe why it works because I'm not polished. I'm not a writer. I'm not like, oh yeah, this is amazing. You know, right. I have had blogs for years and I've written magazines like that's not me. And I'm a marketer. And I always say to people, you can have the best book in the world, but if you haven't got a marketer getting it out there, it's going to be the best unread book in the library. Whereas, or worse, you're going to have a thousand copies of your own book in your garage, which I do not (laughs) agree with. Just put it out there. A lot of people say, I can get you bestseller on Amazon, but you have to order 10,000 of your own books and keep them in your garage. And that just feels unauthentic. Is that what happens? Yeah, people do it, honestly. And I've had people come to me when I've said to people that we have a very good track record of getting bestsellers. They'll say, oh yeah, but is it by buying your own book? Absolutely not because that means no one's going to read your story. So for me, it's not necessarily about the book. And I'm not saying that you don't need to have a good story. The book is important, but it's the marketing behind it. That's what's going to get the results. Like you can have the best podcast in the world, but if people don't know it exists and listen to it, then it's not going to serve its
1: purpose. Oh, you know what? You took the words right out of my mouth. I actually spoke about this on stage when was it Expert Empires. I refer to it as your shop window. You can have the Best shop window in the world, excellent display, your products can be second to none, the customer service in the shop can be excellent, the pricing can be on point, the customer experience can be phenomenal. But if no one's walking past that shop window, then it's absolutely irrelevant. You know, you've got to draw people in you're a marketer first and everything else second so many people say it's not what you know it's who you know but it's actually one step further than that it's not what you know it's not who you know it's who knows you because the more mm. people you know who you are the more opportunities you create for them to do business with you it's as yeah. simple as that yeah
0: exactly totally and that's where I think a lot of people struggle because they write their book some people publish their book or they self-publish and then they you know a year later go well that was a waste of time. I didn't get any sales from it. And that's probably because they didn't have a marketing machine or plan behind it. And the challenge, with it's a bit like property, you know, you're the property expert here. You don't build a property and leave it empty. You fill it. And you get reoccurring income from it in theory. Now I'm not a property trainer, please don't quote me on that strategy. But the point is, you have built the asset, use it. And a lot of people don't use their books. And then the worst thing I see, which sounds so ironic as a, as a publisher, is they just move on to their second book and their third book and their fourth book and their fifth book. And I come people come to me and go, how much will it cost me to do five books with you? And I'm like, well, show me what you can do with one first, mm. because I don't want to be publishing books that go nowhere. Because also, if my brand is in the book as the publisher, what does that show for me as a marketer? Yeah. So for me, it's about Let's nail the first book and get you where you want to be. And then the second book, third book, fourth book, get even
1: further. I love that. Insanity's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. Mm. But would you say that your experience as a marketer was advantageous in terms of the book publishing company because you featured in loads of press, you've been Mm. front pages of magazines and things, or was that laterally? Was that because you were a best-selling author, which came first? Yeah,
0: great question. So it was the book first, And then the magazine covers because the book, everybody knows what a book is and everyone values a book. There's an association and a a perception basically of the status that comes from a book. So for me, I had... Uh, how did I do that? So I'd published my book first and I was speaking on a big event and I was actually sat next to the founder of a big magazine. I had no idea who she was, by the way, because I'm not really good at that sort of thing. I wasn't really, I was a networker, but I didn't really know the industry very well. I just kind of like threw my way through it, like fell my way through it. And I was sat next to this particular woman who is a founder of Global Women Magazine, Morella Sula, great friend of mine now. And um everyone was coming up to her, asking her questions. And we'd been talking for an hour before that when the guests were on stage. So I didn't know who she was. We were chatting about stuff. And then in the breaks, people were coming over going, oh my God, can you sign this? And, and at the end, I looked at and I'm really sorry, but who are you? Like... I, all these people have said something to you. And it was because my book that she actually was curious to know more about my story. And that's when I managed to get on the cover there and speak at her stages and all the other stuff that came from that. So to answer your question, it started with the book because Amazing. there was a perceived status that came with the book that opened up the doors. And if I could do it again, I'm so grateful for my journey. If I was starting again, I'd do the book way earlier in my journey because a lot of people think, I don't have a valuable story yet. I don't have a big following yet. Uh, you know, Why would anyone buy my book? write the book and show them because it's about the audience. They read your book and then they're so much more bought in
1: than any possible social media follower. It's that whole thing, once I've achieved X, then I'll do Y. Totally. We're all so guilty of it. Mm. No one will be interested in my story and tell them I'm a multi-multi-millionaire. Mm. And that's just not always the case, is it? Not at all.
0: And also that never comes. And yes, we might hit our goals. Like if your goal is to be a seven figure business owner, yes, there's a lot of chance you will hit that if you follow the right steps, but I guarantee it won't be the way you thought you did. Oh no. And so people will say, oh, I will write my book when I will do this. Like I had said for years, I will launch my podcast when, and that, and it just, that when never happened. And then what did happen when I was interviewing you and I thought, God, I just need to do this and just get it out of the way, you know, just get started. And a lot of people do that with their book is they get so fixated on it has to be the perfect thing. And I hear a lot of people and I don't want to, be rude to a lot of people celebrities in the space they'll say your book is a life's work no it's not it's just a book (laughs) right it's like people say I put my life's work into one book then you have done it really wrong because really (laughs) you want to put enough into the book that gets people results and then move on to the next thing
1: well Grant Cardone did 10x out of absolute desperation because his other businesses were collapsing due to the recession he talks about this openly and he stayed up all night and wrote 10x which is what Basically, catapulted the rest of his career and helped him achieve the phenomenal results that he's achieved now. But do you sort of speak about a book to your potential clients as a marketing tool, as a positioning tool, or as a vehicle to make money? So a lot of people think
0: it's one or the other. It's both. But one thing I must say is a lot of people also say your book is an expensive business card, right? That is no offense to anyone, a load of rubbish. Because people don't get value from business cards. You know, if you get a business card, what do you do? Most of the time you throw it in the bin. And most people don't even give out business cards anymore. But some people don't look at a business card and go, oh, Ellie, your business card was so valuable. It changed my life. People do that with books. People will pick up a book, read it, or listen to it and go, that changed my life. So yes, it is a positioning tool, but in theory, it makes you money too. It should be the first step of people buy from you, whether that's you speak on stage and and put your books everywhere and have people buy buy them there or get them for free, or they buy them on your website. It might be the first step to people getting a taste of who you are. And it's also something you ideally want a book that other people are going to buy for their friends and family or their contacts, because then they're going to go, oh, i read this really good book. Or like, for example, my book's called Determined and Dangerous about basically losing it all, being depressed and starting a business. So a lot of people that read my book say, my friend bought me this because I was going through depression or my partner bought me this because I started my own business. So you want it to be something that other people are going to buy for each other because then ultimately that's where the money starts. And
1: that's where the business then comes from it. What's the kind of expectation then for an author in terms of earning capacity or potential? Yeah, great question. So I would say it's quite
0: low at the beginning of just being really transparent. I don't believe in saying, you know, you're going to be completely passively income based and have no other things to worry about. Your book is a starting point. So for me, you know, if you're not making about, I would say, $8 to $10 per book profit, something's gone wrong. That's just a rough number. So it depends on how many sales you can make in any given month. It starts off like Ellie, for example, for your podcast, you've got a huge following. You probably get a really good income from it. If somebody hasn't got people that are going to buy regularly, then you need to build your marketing team to be putting it out regularly. That's the main thing. It's a, it's not just a write a book and let's sit back and relax on a beach with
1: a cocktail. It's write the book, <laughs> use the book. That, that's pretty much how my publishing company sold it to me. <laughs> that's usually what
0: happens (laughs) but it does depend on what you're doing with it and also what the next step is it's about what you then put after the book what are you offering to people that is going to make sense after the book
1: i love that oh i love it i love it i love it i love it so as well as the book publishing company what Mm. other ventures have you got what's the future Mm. holding you've always got so many exciting things going on what's the mission so my mission
0: is to help more people tell their stories in a more authentic way, no matter where that is for them. So for me, inspired by the show is coming out very soon. In fact, probably by the time we're releasing this, it will be out. So I'd love to have people listening to it. But for me, I do that in all different ways. I help people to show up. So I'm also running Queens in Business, which is a global movement for both men and women, in dif- mainly women, but men in different ways to support them with building their brands of visibility. So for me, it's just, I'm on a mission to help people show up. I just want people to finally step out of the the dark, you know, or the shadows and go, this is actually what I'm born to do. Or if you don't know, just have fun with it, but just keep showing up. And that's where my mission lies
1: oh I love it well it's been absolutely incredible having you on I feel like we could just chat for hours yeah, yeah, this is what I love about podcasts the ones that just go super quick they are just conversations you know <laughs> totally informal very unprofessional but there's so much value in that so <laughs> we will need to get you back for a future episode and find out how Thanks. you're getting on because I'm sure it'll be all changed again in the next 12 months <laughs> who knows but Chloe thank you so much for coming on the On the Mission podcast
0: no problem Ellie thank you so much for having me it's been amazing oh it's been so
1: much fun <laughs> we